Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher in New York City, and I want to start off today by just giving a blanket thank you to everyone who uh, has been commenting on our most recent episode. This episode got a lot of feedback, and a lot of it was similar. So I wanted to clarify something about last week's episode. You may recall we reviewed a hand that I played on day one of the World Series of Poker Main Event 2021 edition, the Fall Classic, if you will. Uh, I was uh, in position with King Jack, and I raised it up on the button. A very aggressive Russian player, three-bet me from the small blind. And then I put in the four-bet with the King Jack offsuit. Uh, A lot of you like this play, at least uh, part of the time mixing it in. Um, You know, maybe trying to have some King Jack in your four-bet bluffing range. And uh, I also got some good feedback on the sizing there but what i don't think i was clear about was the fact that on the river i made a bad decision i made a bet not knowing how i would respond in the unlikely event of a check raise i looked at my river decision here as uh, the chance to try to either get the pot all to myself or worst case scenario have to split it with my opponent i did not have a plan for getting check raised. I just missed that part of the uh, potential outcomes, the decision tree, whatever you want to call it. And so whenever we do that in poker, we have already made a mistake. Many times we make this type of mistake and we don't end up having to pay for it because the likely outcomes end up happening more often than not. But this was a case where I was completely caught with my hand in the cookie jar and I really didn't know what to do. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to just clarify because so many of you pointed out that if I don't know what I'm going to do, if I get check raised, then maybe it's better off just to check behind on the river and split the pot. So, yes, you are right. And that's why I brought up the hand because I don't pretend to be the world's greatest poker player, not by a long shot, nowhere near, right? But I think it's important on this podcast and elsewhere For us all to be honest with ourselves, what kind of mistakes do you make? What sort of things do I need to stop doing in order to become the best poker player that I can? So uh, one reason I wanted to highlight that hand last week was because it was a key moment in the most important tournament of the year where I put myself in a position to get outplayed. So uh, as played, I think that folding is still better than calling. If I do bet, I mean, if the guy is that good and he can bluff me, then, you know, he wins. Um, But maybe it's better if I know that he's capable of that to just check behind. Needless to say, I did not think that anyone would go that crazy on day one of the main event, even a loose, aggressive Russian guy. But yeah, I guess he really wanted to assert his dominance. He got the best of me. And look, even after that hand was over, I still had an 
average stack. So it wasn't the end of the world. Well, a starting stack. It was slightly below average by that point, as some players do bust out in the first couple of levels of day one. Uh, I know because I've done that once myself, and <laughs> it does happen, and it really, really sucks. So today we're going to continue our discussion of my main event. I'm going to move on to day two and share a hand or two from that. But first, I wanted to address something that Derek Tenbush, if you're not following Derek on Twitter, you really should be, Derek Tenbush on Twitter. And we also call him Killing Bird, and you can find him on Twitch at Killing Bird. Um, Derek's a great guy. He is the founder and CEO, head honcho here at TPE. And uh, honestly, he's like the best boss you could ever want. I mean, he tweeted something that I feel like he was trying to have my back. Um, and it's about the GPI awards. So the nominees came out this week. The whole process for getting nominated for a GPI award, a global poker award, whatever you want to call it, uh, is pretty unclear. I don't think that I, I haven't been able to find what the exact process is. It seems somewhat arbitrary uh, what podcasts get nominated or not. And I'm not really sure how it all works. But there are so many categories and so many potential nominees in that opening ballot. So when you fill out that ballot, that is supposed to lead to whittling it down to X number of potential winners of the award eventually. Now the podcast category, as I say all the time, is always becoming more and more crowded, which is good news for you, the listener. Uh, it makes it harder for guys like me to stand out in a very crowded field. But most poker podcasts only do like an episode every three or four weeks, if that. Um, some of the nominated podcasts hardly ever put out an episode. And so it kind of just caused Derek to tweet something like, I'm so disappointed to see that the TPE podcast is not nominated for a GPI award. I want to just give my two cents on this whole thing. You know, guys, uh, three years ago, a little bit more now, it was like November of 2018, uh, when I first spoke with Derek and the other guys here at TPE about becoming the host of this podcast, uh, it was never my goal to win an award. My goal is simply to build a community, uh, as we like to call it, TPE Nation, but just, you know, have a loyal group of poker enthusiasts with which I can conversate, <laughs> um, discuss poker trends and poker hands uh, and poker concepts and ideas on a weekly basis. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, I've achieved that goal. I don't need uh, some independent panel of judges to say that we have the best poker podcast in the world. And to be honest, guys, at some point, we may end up nominated uh, in the final running for that award. And it's even possible that somewhere down the line, I will even win the award for best podcast. Uh, well, TPE would win, but I as the host would probably be the one to accept the award if that eventually happens. And I promise you guys, I will feel exactly the same way about the GPI awards then as I do now. And it really aligns with how I feel about the Tony Awards or the Emmy Awards or the Grammy Awards or the SAG Awards. 
honestly, I think that art is uh, meant to give everyone something to talk about. And so I'm glad that it gives somebody a chance to talk. But one of the big conversations every time any list of nominees comes out is who was snubbed. And it seems like the people who choose nominees for things like this intentionally snub one or two. And that could well be just to get people talking. Uh, It's just further proof that how can we pick the best poker podcast? That would depend on the individual, right? Some people enjoy hearing stories of poker players' lives. Some people like to hear about gossip and who's dating who in poker and who said what about the other one and and all that sort of stuff. Um, You know, I think that our listeners are a little bit more serious about trying to improve as players. So if you could break down every podcast category and they had one that was just strategy or just the best tournament podcast. I mean, who cares? At the end of the day, my take is I appreciate Derek going to bat for me and for all of us who make this podcast happen. And I really do appreciate it. But at the same time, my feelings are not hurt if I don't win an award because that was never my goal to begin with. And I don't think that it's Derek's either. I just think that he took it a little bit personally because he feels like we are doing good things here at the TPE podcast. And uh, on that, uh, he and I absolutely agree. And I know you agree as well, or you probably wouldn't still be listening after all this time. And I just want you guys to know that I'm okay. I'm not crying myself to sleep every night because I didn't get nominated for a GPI award. Uh, I'm happy to have the interaction that I get on a daily basis from all of you when you interact with me on Twitter, at Clayton Comic, or when you share your thoughts and your feelings and your opinions on the TPE message boards or wherever else I get to come into contact with all of you. Again, my point is I don't do this for acclaim or adulation or notoriety, but I do it because I love having this job. I love interacting with all of you And as far as I'm concerned, we're all winners. So (laughs) how's that? Take that, GPI Awards. Now, this goes back to even my acting days. You know, many actors dream of eventually winning a Tony Award or an Oscar or whatever. And all I ever really wanted to do was to entertain audiences. And as it turns out, what I really wanted was to hear people laughing. So uh, now I get to do that almost every night. And so, you know, I'm a happy person. Don't, don't worry about me, guys. But I do appreciate those of you who engaged with um, Derek's post about this and, and, you know, in other places mentioned that you thought that this podcast was snubbed or whatever. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's no skin off my back. And I congratulate everyone who was nominated, as I should, because to the extent that it's going to help their podcasts, I'm happy for them. The only reason I would ever want to win an award would be if doing so would help us get more listeners because I would like our reach to expand. And as always, I'm trying to find new and creative ways for us to climb the ranks of the poker podcast list, if you will. Um, And by the way, on that subject, Spotify now has a way for those of you who use the Spotify app on your phone to leave reviews. 
So you guys know I'm always asking those of you who are on iTunes or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, it seems like it changes every week, but you Apple users out there, you know I'm always asking you to leave us a nice review, leave us five stars, it helps, it helps, it helps. Well now, those of you who are on Spotify, which has suddenly become the second biggest podcast platform after Apple Podcasts. Uh, So for those of you who are on Spotify, if you do it on your phone, I don't think you can do it on the desktop version, but on your phone, you can leave us a review and maybe we can get a jump and maybe the people at Spotify will see that this podcast has a loyal following and, uh, you know, just give us a good review. That helps a great deal. And it's actually my understanding that having a lot of five-star reviews on the podcast platforms would actually do more for this podcast than winning the GPI award for best podcast. So if you love us and you care, that's what you can do. And we will continue to bring this free content to you each and every week in return. All right, enough about all that silliness. Let's get down to it. I'm ready to talk about day two of the 2021 World Series of Poker main event. Now, I can tell you guys this. The rest of day one was really rough, and I ended up the day with only 11,700 chips after starting the day with 60,000. So I basically barely survived day one. Shortly after the King Jack hand that we discussed last week on day one, I was moved to a new table, and it did not take me long to figure out that my new table was much worse than my original table, and also that it was way tougher than the average table on a day one of the main event. Now, I played day 1D. You may recall this World Series of Poker had six starting days, all the way up to day 1F. So I opted for 1D. I think it had a lot to do with um, my broadcasting schedule and other things that I had to tend to around that time. Uh, But yeah, I ended up playing day 1D, which I believe was Sunday. But whatever day it was, it was the fourth of six possible starting days. I remember thinking that I might avoid some of the European players who I think they had just opened the border. That was part of my thinking was that I at least wanted to spend one day without seven Germans at my table uh, because obviously many of the Euros have now become way better at poker than the average American and more importantly, much better than me. So (laughs) that was my thinking. Uh, Of course, there were Euros in Vegas throughout the World Series from day one. But yeah, that was the idea is that there would be so many more in a few days. I wanted to try to get it in there before they all showed up. So anyway, uh, yeah, my second table was really tough and I happened to run really bad. I remember making a flush that was no good. Um, I flopped a set and my opponent rivered a straight a bunch of bad hands, especially in the very last level of the day. And so I barely made it and survived day one and walked into day two with, uh, well, the blinds were 400 and 800 with an 800 big blind ante. And I only had under 12,000. So my M was actually less than six uh, starting day two of the main event. So I had my work cut out for me. The average stack was about 85,000. And I picked up ace nine suited on the button and they all folded to me and I just shoved it right in for 11,000 or whatever. 
Uh, well, I guess I had already paid the blinds and ante. So yeah, at that point I was down to 9,700. So yeah, now it was my time to shine. They folded to me on the button. And Boris Kolev, who is one of the top players in Europe, he's a Bulgarian pro that is absolutely no joke, was two to my left at this day two table. Uh, now Boris is incredibly tough. He had a very big stack. Um, almost 200,000. Uh, but yeah, what can he do in the big blind? He has to pick up a hand now that I've shoved. And sure enough, he picked up pocket jacks. So here I am. On the first hand that I V-pipped, I end up a 70% underdog. But the flop came ace, ace, nine. And <laughs> Boris Koloff was almost drawing dead on that beautiful flop. So that was the beginning of the turnaround. So I doubled up there. I had over 20K and things were going pretty well for a little while. And then I was kind of just floating and I had 21,500 still in the first level of day two, the 400, 800 level. And so at that point, my M was about 11. Boris opened to 1700. Now, I don't know why we do 1700 instead of 1600. I don't know why. Does that 100 make any difference to anyone in the whole world ever? I don't think it does. But for some reason, we all try to go just over 2XBB, right? I don't know why, but this is a thing that all poker players seem to do. And I'm not really going to question it. So Boris is in second position. So the under the gun player folded and then Boris made it 1700. Now he had been playing quite a few hands. I think he correctly assumed that he was the best player at this table. And he also had one of the biggest stacks and he was trying to assert himself from the jump. So uh, the action folds around to the button who was an East Coast player that I thought I recognized. Uh, maybe I played with him at Parks Casino or possibly at Foxwoods years ago. I definitely have played with this guy before. Um, kind of a scummy guy, if you don't mind my saying. He, he was a bit uh, rough around the edges kind of a five o'clock shadow. Uh, he had that hardened look to him. Like he was probably in his 30s, but he looked like he was in his mid 40s. Very uh, abrasive, loud, sort of tough talking guy that you encounter so often at places like Atlantic City or parks. Just that East Coast tough guy kind of vibe to him. Um, now his playing style thus far has been uh, pretty aggressive. And he made a habit of rubbing it in when he won hands. He would say things like, ah, you thought you could bluff me, stuff like that. So just very much uh, an ego-driven type. So he calls on the button. He's got about 100,000 behind. And now uh, the small blind folds and the action is on Hero in the big blind holding the nine of clubs and eight of spades. All right, so what to do here? Again, our M is 10. We have about... 27 big blinds. Uh, so I don't know, 9-8 is a pretty decent hand. I think that folding here, even with our medium short stack, is a bit too tight. If you say you want to shove, I'm actually okay with that. I mean, we can flop something with this hand. We could probably take it down quite a bit because as mentioned, both of our opponents in this hand are loose. So very often, loose players like to open a lot of pots, make a lot of calls, especially when they're on the button. But, you know, if I put in more than 10 times the original bet, I think they really need 
to have something in order to call. It's not trivial for either one of them. It would cost Boris 10% of his stack to call, and he still has to worry about the tough guy on the button if he does make the call. So if Boris is as loose as I think he is, and the East Coast tough guy is also as loose as I think he is, there's a strong case to be made for just shoving here. There's 5,400 in the middle already, and we have a little more than three times that. So obviously taking this pot down and adding 5,400 to our stack, I mean, that's a huge increase. That's a 20%, a 25% increase in our stack if they both fold. And if one or both of them calls, 9-8 is not hopeless. Maybe we'll get lucky and then have a stack all of a sudden. You guys have to remember, uh, at this point in the tournament, the average stack is about 85,000 and we only have 21,000. So if you told me that you would take this opportunity to go for the squeeze, I'm actually okay with it. I decided to just call in this situation, but I wanted to look at the merits of shoving right there because I do think that that is a plus EV play. I decided to see a flop instead, and that flop was 10 of clubs, 8 of clubs, deuce of hearts. Again, hero holding the 9 of clubs, 8 of spades. So we've got second pair, a backdoor flush draw, and then a backdoor straight draw. So pretty decent flop for 9-8. And now there's 6,300 in the middle, and hero has 20,600 behind. So what to do? I think you can lead here. I, I, I don't really mind leading, but the problem is how do we respond to a raise? We learned last week that when, before you make a bet in poker, you have to know how you will handle getting raised. So I think that if we bet here, we've got to kind of be willing to go with it, believe it or not, against either of these loose aggressive opponents. Um, they could see my my lead as weakness, maybe just trying to take a stab and they might try to push me off of it, particularly the second player. I don't know how much of that Boris would be doing, especially with another player yet to act behind him on the button. But yeah, if I were to bet, say, a third of the pot here and Boris gets out of the way, if the other player raises, I think that I would have to go with it and just shove on him and hope that second pair is good or whatever, you know, I think that he'll have a lot of bluff raises in his range because that was how he plays. So I didn't particularly want to do that, so I decided to check. But if you want to bet call or bet shove, I'm okay with either. Um, but I decided to check. Boris also checked. And now this loose, aggressive, tough guy bets 2,200 into 6,300. So just, just over one-third of the pot. And now the action is on Clayton. I think that raising here is okay. I'm all for it. If you want to check raise, uh, trying to get rid of Boris and maybe shove on the turn if you get called by the button. Um, but again, I think the argument against that is what do we do when we check raise and get shoved on? We will usually be behind in that circumstance, but at this point, so much of our stack will have been already placed into the middle that it may be a large mistake to fold a hand as strong as middle pair with both backdoor possibilities uh, to that raise. So at that point, we probably just have to go with it. And I didn't think this hand was quite strong enough to go with 
uh, and I would not want to raise fold off such a short stack. So I decided to just call and to my delight, Boris Kolev did fold. So now we are heads up, out of position versus a player that we recognize that we think is loose, aggressive, and scummy. All right, so there's 10,700 in the middle and Hero has 18,200 behind. So our SPR is now below two on the turn and that turn is the six of diamonds. So our board is now 10 of clubs, eight of clubs, deuce of hearts, six of diamonds, Hero holding the nine of clubs, eight of spades. A pretty good card for us as we now pick up a straight draw to go along with our middle pair, which still may, be, may very well be good, uh, but we can't really know. These are the kind of tough decisions you have to make, and when your M is only 10 or 11, that's when it really gets hard because one little mistake is really going to change the complexion of this tournament. So do we want to go for a blocking bet here, put out a little lead, maybe try to represent that that six helped us? Uh, we do have the nine in our hand, so we're blocking the straight, and it's certainly possible that we could have called on the flop with a hand like nine seven. We called with nine eight. Of course, we would also call with nine seven. And now with the six, we, we made the nuts. Uh, but if we did make the nuts, would we bet it or would we check again? and try to induce another bet from our loose, aggressive opponent. Well, guys, I think that no matter what, I would not bet the turn, no matter what that six did or didn't do for me. So because of that, I always check it here. Uh, the plan is to check and probably call again, depending on sizing. But we have so much going on here that check raising is probably also a viable play in this spot. So. It just depends on our read and what we think our opponent is doing and what kind of hand he's doing it with. Now, some of this I just do in real time, trying to get a read, trying to get a sense of what he's up to. Uh, some players give off strength when they're strong, and so I'm trying to figure out what exactly I'm up against in this situation. So uh, I check and really study my opponent, and he grabs some chips and looks like he's thinking about firing again and then seem to think better of it and check behind. So, of course, he knew that I was watching him. I wasn't making a secret of the fact that I was studying him. But my opinion, my instinct, was that he was not acting. So I think that he really did consider betting the turn and really did decide against it. So we check, check on the turn. So there's still 10,700 in the middle. And the river comes the five of hearts for a final board of 10, 8, deuce, 6, 5 with two clubs and two hearts. So no flush came in. Now I check one more time here. I can also bet, but if I do bet on this river, I would like to go small because it's hard for me to get value from a worse hand if I bet too big. So what we're trying to do here is maybe try to get a call from a hand like 8, 7 which we have out kicked or possibly even or an ace five of clubs that flopped a flush draw and then made a pair on the river. But I can beat that pair. So a small bet here, like maybe like 20 percent, 25 percent of the pot would be ideal for that play. And I do think there's a lot of merit to that play. And another merit to that play is it may stop my opponent from bluffing. 
So it's harder for him to bluff raise than it would be to bluff if I check. So if I check, I will sometimes have to fold my pair if I think that my opponent is strong, unless we think that our hand is good enough as a bluff catcher to check and call. So again, a lot of this is opponent dependent uh, and certainly based on the read that I have of the situation while it's in progress, which is why I think I do better, generally speaking, in live poker than in online poker because these are the areas that I feel like I have a bit of an edge. I know that some of you think trying to get a soul read on your opponent is just silliness or mystical hocus pocus, but I'm telling you that when my decisions are really, really close, very often that is how I will break the tie. So I decide to check and just trust my instincts and my opponent bet 7,200 into the 10,700 pot. Now this board is you know, pretty well straightened out here. We've got a 10, eight, deuce, six, five. So tons of straights have come in. We do block some of them with our nine. Uh, and of course we also block the uh, three of a kind, uh, three eights that our opponent could potentially have uh, the way he played the hand so far, but we block that hand. So it's very difficult for him to have that particular set Still, his sizing is very large. I mean, he's betting about three quarters of the pot here on the river, and he's also betting a large percentage of my stack. He's betting a, a little more than one third of my remaining stack. So obviously he's putting on all the pressure, but I don't know. I mean, he didn't bet the turn. It's unusual for players to bet the flop, check the turn, and bet the river as a bluff. So that feels a little bit more like a value bet. But there was something about the way he was, you know, being tough. You know, he's kind of flexing his muscles when he made his bet. And he's kind of giving me a, the stink eye a little bit. Like kind of giving me a dirty look while he's waiting for me to make my decision. Um, he was also leaning forward in his chair. Kind of a classic tell of someone who is tense and trying to appear intimidating. Now, if he had a value hand, why would he want to look intimidating? Now... You can't take this too far, guys, because some of us, myself included, will mix up our physical mannerisms in an effort to confuse our opponents that we know happen to be studying us. So in other words, maybe I'll sit forward, hold my breath, and look you right in the eye, trying to look intimidating when I actually want that call, because I'm hoping that you will read my show of strength as weakness, right? Classical advice from Mike Caro in Caro's book of Poker Tells is strong means weak and weak means strong. So this guy was acting pretty strong, but that's still not enough for me to just say, oh, well, then I have to call. It's really, really close. And I need to be right pretty often for this call to be profitable. I just trusted my read and my instincts in the moment. And I said, you know what? If this guy's value betting, what is he value betting? I mean, his sizing is, is a bit polarizing, right? He's putting in about three quarters of the pot. I don't even think he should be making that play with top pair. So because of that, I thought that his range would consist of big hands like straights and sets, maybe two pair and bluffs. And there are a lot of bluffs available because remember, there's the 10 of clubs, eight of clubs on the flop. Now I block the flush draws just a little bit with my nine of clubs, but there are plenty of flush draws that he could have hands like Queen Jack of Clubs, I think, might play this way. He doesn't really feel like he can win 
a showdown if he checks behind. So he needs to bet. He needs to make it a healthy bet to try to push me off of what I have, which I think my hand is pretty well face up. I feel like I'm showing medium strength as uh, a medium strength hand. So I'm not exactly hiding the type of hand that I have, which invites my opponent to try to make this polarizing bet. I don't know too many players that could make this kind of bet with a hand like Jack-10, especially as the board gets straighter and straighter. It feels like he's either got something big or he's got something nothing. And with the body language and everything else and just the observations that I had made thus far, I decided it was time to make the hero call. And our opponent turned over the Jack of Hearts, Nine of Hearts. So he had Jack High. Opponent had flopped an open-ended straight draw and bet it small on the flop, checked behind on the turn, and then decided to bluff on the end when I showed so much passive weakness on my end. Uh, So I don't really have a problem with how he played the hand. He can't really win it very often with Jack High, and so he decided to go for it and turn his hand into a bluff against a medium short stack who probably can't make the call very often. So after that hand, I had about 32,000, 33,000, and we were off to the races. Uh, More on that next week. Uh, For now, I want to let you guys know that if you are still looking for a website to help you improve your poker game, TournamentPokerEdge.com is the answer. For as little as $25 a month, you can have access to some of the best coaches in the game. Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Jared Smith, Colin Moshman, Danny Noseworthy, and so many more. Thousands of hours of our exclusive training content from some of these legends of the game, as well as all of our special features such as the world-famous TPE forums. And you can get it all for as little as $25 a month. And if that's not enough, you can get $10 off your very first month by using the promo code PODCAST at checkout. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Hit me up on Twitter at ClaytonComic and make sure you leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or Spotify if you are so inclined. For everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love it, it's not rough, it is
Nobody